Come with me as we dive into some of the most intimate diaries a person could share. My mission is to inspire you to push through during the toughest of times, too. Thank you for being here. I can't wait for you to hear these stories. This is Push Diaries Podcast. I'm your host, Tess. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Push Diaries Podcast. I'm super excited to have my good friend and soul sister, Lily, on the podcast today. She is someone I have known since high school, and our dear friend Sarah and her actually met before us, and um, Lily knew Adam, and Lily was a good friend to a lot of our friends in high school. Um, she had, She and I had a lot of mutual friends. She was much more agile, though, than I was as far as sports were concerned. (laughs) She was an awesome softball player. So anyway, it has been, oh gosh, I don't even know how many years. I'm going to just sit here and try to think about how long we've known each other. I must have met Lily in 2000 and like I would say, Lil, that you and I became close like in 2004 or five. What do you think? Yeah, well, let's see here. I would say ninth or tenth grade. So yeah, so um, yeah, that sounds about right. Two thousand four, two thousand three, somewhere in there. Yeah. So um, you know, she and I actually got closer. Remember this, Lily? Because weren't we in? We were in a few classes together, like Mr. Fogarty's writing class. What was that? Oh, oh. yeah, English. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I remember yeah. writing a giant paper. Yep, yep, the Pony Express and the Gold Rush, those yeah. are topics. So anyway, we've known each other for a long time, and um, we have sisters that are the same age, and Lily is the, you're the second child. I'm the second child, number two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then how many are after you, for the people that don't know? Oh gosh, I don't know, there's a total of five of us, so... <laughs> That makes three after me. <laughs> yeah, it's like, let's do the math here. Yeah. But I've always found you kind of cool, too, because you do have younger siblings. And I don't, I guess, I guess a few of my friends have younger siblings. But as you know, I'm the baby, so. Yeah. I think well, it's cool that you're a big sister. Yeah, I liked it. They were a lot younger than than I was. So it really truly was like having, I had a baby brother and a baby sister at 10 years old, 12 years old. Yeah. And 10 and 12, like that's a fun age to enjoy a little sibling. So let's just start from the very beginning because people don't even know who the heck you are other than (laughs) you're a special person. Okay. Um, Well, as Tess said, I am Lily. Uh, We've known each other forever. Um, Currently live in Virginia with my husband and my son and brewing number two. (laughs) So exciting. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's see. What else is interesting about me? I don't know. I I, um, am employed by the Navy. I'm a fire controlman. And I love Jesus, and I love my dogs, and I guess that's about it. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, you know what? That does. That sounds like it sounds you up perfectly. Is it okay to say what naval base you work from? Norfolk Naval Base. Yeah. So can you, if you don't mind, just share a little bit about that? what Norfolk is? Because isn't it? It is one of the biggest in the nation, right? Sure, sure. So uh, Norfolk Naval Base is one of the, the biggest naval bases in the world. Uh, I believe the only larger one is in Japan. Um, we've got several carriers based out of there. 
um, lots of destroyers, lots of cruisers, pretty much every type of platform ship uh, you'll find out there. So, I mean, we're talking thousands and thousands of, of sailors and civilians who support the mission that we that we do. Very cool. Yeah. I don't know exactly how large it is, like acreage wise, uh, but it's like a city. I mean, there's, we have lingo on, you know, water side and air side because we do have a ton of air support also, helicopters, airplanes, all that stuff. So, yeah, it's pretty mm-hmm. cool. I visited Lily in in November of last year and she drove me by the naval base and she's right. It is like a city. There's like, it was just incredible, Lily. Like never in my life have I seen naval ships, let alone any military vehicles besides like, you know, a tank at a 4th of July parade or like, you know, like it was just really incredible seeing like these giant ships that I had yeah. no idea even like, you know, I couldn't make those up in my mind. Yeah, it is pretty awing, you know, the first time I even went on a ship, which <laughs> mind you was well after boot camp and <laughs> all this stuff. I had never even been on a ship. I was very overwhelmed because they are enormous and they're very <laughs> ugly, you know, to, to be to be blunt, they serve a functional purpose. They serve, you know, nothing else. No comfort, no nothing. It's just... They're so heavy. Like, yeah. it's amazing to me to see, like, just, yeah, the enormity. And, you know, a naval ship doesn't have to be pretty, right? Like, like you're saying, it serves its purpose. But, like, I'm just amazed that something like that can float, right? Like, in a, yeah, that too. and not sink like a brick. Yeah, yeah. Because it's, me- it's steel. It's metal. Like, why wouldn't that just sink right to the bottom yep yep so yeah can you talk a little bit about your first time seeing that ship and going uh yes so i am directionally challenged anyway i'm not very good at you know paying attention to where i need to go and where how i get places here there and the other thing but you know i've been on cruises before so i got this down now the inside of a ship looks the same like it's the interior material is the same and so when you walk around these corridors there's a bunch of um we have to save space obviously there's not a lot of that so everything's hooked onto the walls so you've got equipment all along you know the sides of you and not every uh passageway goes all the way around the ship. There's like little nooks and crannies and, and turnaround spaces. And so it's like, where, you know, where am I? I have no idea what I'm doing. I uh, think it took me probably two weeks to learn the inside of a destroyer, which is literally the smallest ship in the Navy. I mean, we have two, 250 people ish. It's like, 500 feet long it's not relatively speaking it's not that big so it took me a very long time to learn the inside and where my workspace was and where my living space was and where the mess hall was and yeah that's so cool I feel like could you imagine if we were kids 
and you like could play a really fun game of like hide and go seek in there, that'd be so crazy. Oh my gosh, we would never find each other because there's so many, like I said, little nooks and crannies and tiny rooms that you'd never even know about unless you had to go in there for your job or yeah, whatever. So yeah, it's almost like you would have to say, okay. We're going to play this, but you can only go yeah. in, like, four different rooms. Otherwise, yeah, yeah you'd never find each other. Yeah. So mm-hmm. let's start. Let's rewind and start from the beginning. Like, talk a little bit about how you and Zach met and why you chose the Navy. I know Zach, for those of you that don't know, is a policeman there in Virginia. So it's pretty cool. He works at a prison, right, or a jail. A jail, yep. Yep. So it's pretty cool that, like, you and your husband, your lifelong lifelong partner, have both chosen from a very young age and a very young spot in your career to serve people. And I just want you to talk a little bit about why that, why you wanted to get into it. Where did it spark an interest for you? Because you have no one in your immediate family that, that served in that capacity. So just kind of go back to what started, what kind of was stirring in you, whether that was your faith or your belief in God, um, and talk a little bit about why the Navy, why servicing our community. Sure. So I'm, I, I think I have to go way, way back um, into probably my junior year of high school, I would want to say. I had actually spoken to an Army recruiter because I wanted to be a pilot, a helicopter pilot. And so that's kind of what I guess maybe growing up in a small town, maybe being, um, you know, going to church every every week and that being a really big part of my life or uh, possibly being number two of five kids. I don't exactly know, but I've always really wanted to to serve and help and, um, you know, I'm, I'm physically able, I'm mentally sound. I feel like with those qualities, um, I can serve and protect the people that can't do that for themselves. So, uh, and then when I met Zach, which was when I was a senior in high school, some of that shifted just because I didn't want to go away. (laughs) I didn't want to leave. Um, so the the army thing sort of dissolved a bit. But uh, Zach and I met in EMT class. So we were getting our um, emergency medical technician, for those of you who don't know what that means. Basically, we we're in paramedic school. So that's where we met. So the mm-hmm. career so line or that, that job line was pretty similar. You know, I wanted to help people in um, their state of emergency. So very, very cool. Awesome. Yeah. And I remember even Lily, like, you know, when they did like the drunk driving, um, uh, what do you call it? Like a redramatization? Yeah. Yeah. I do remember that. I remember, you know, talking with you at our lockers and at lunch and whatnot and being like, you know, I'm kind of excited for it. Like, it's going to be cool. Mm -hmm. Um, I think for me, that really opened up the understanding, like, for the necessity on a very local scale, on on a more micro scale of of why we need EMTs and why we need policemen and why we need um, good people that care about their communities to really be there in, like you said, their state of emergency, because 
I can't imagine being hit by a drunk driver and being, you know, spread across the sidewalk and not, not have someone, a good Samaritan to come help me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know what else was a huge impact on that? And I don't remember, this was much younger because I specifically remember being in Mr. Rusin (laughs) class. Okay, the turtle's back. <laughs> yeah. Mr. Rusted's Fayed class. And do you remember when the Backstrom brothers died? Yes, that was That was a so huge, huge impact on our community and on our high school and my family. And three I brothers, think... Three brothers, right, Lil? Three of the five, yeah. They were all so, killed. So there were three brothers driving in a car, for those of you that don't know, and they were out, I think, just headed to, like, a store to get some things. And mm-hmm. they were hit by a drunk driver. And wasn't it, like, 7 or 8 at night? It, it was, was not. not yeah, exactly. I think they were headed to, I remember, I don't know why I remember this. They were going to Walmart because yeah. they were picking up some photos that they had developed. I don't really know, you know, back in the day when we yeah. had to do that. <laughs> yeah, right? I know, when, when we didn't have smartphones and everything was right on our yeah. But yeah, that was that was you're right, really really sad. Um well, very cool. I think it's really amazing. I mean, you know what I think of you. I think it's just incredible that you have devoted your life to this and you know, when you talk about like not wanting to do the army helicopter thing because you didn't want to be away from your family. I think it's interesting that like you know, you had dreams about being in the air and now you're in the sea. Like you're not <laughs> even on the land. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. It is kind of strange. And coming from, you know, we grew up in Minnesota. Where in the world is there any sort of ocean to influence me on that decision? I have no idea. I, who knows? I, I don't know. And I honestly, I don't even know. When I was looking into possibly doing the military thing after Zach and I had gotten married, just because it, it had always just kept coming up. I, you know, like I said, I, had talked to the army recruiter early on and then for several years it just kind of fell away and it was just always something I was interested in but when I was researching okay maybe this is a possibility which branch would I want to do um you know I was looking into deployment lengths and job types and stuff like that and so that kind of led me to navy coast guard type stuff and I think I ultimately chose the Navy because the recruiter was a lot nicer to me than the uh, Coast Guard recruiter. Yeah. So. Isn't it amazing how that effect can have a lasting <laughs> impression on our decisions? Yeah. And too, I don't know if you mentioned this, but, you know, you were a lifeguard, too, for yeah. years throughout mm-hmm. your whole high school um, education and life. So, heck, I mean, I guess it's maybe not that crazy. I mean, you're a woman who's comfortable in water you're comfortable saving someone from drowning if necessary so those are pretty cool skills too yeah you're right I forgot that I was a lifeguard I loved that I love being a lifeguard yeah yeah so so talk about that just for a quick second I'm pretty sure like originally it was just oh I can get a tan and you know yeah (laughs) there was no yeah, exactly. But, you know, after the the um, kind of the fun life saving skills that I learned, very basic, of course, you know, CPR and how to use an AED and, you know, basic rescue techniques. I was like, oh, this is this is kind of cool, you know, uh, 
but then I really actually started to uh, take it a little more seriously as far as, you know, actually learning the techniques and being able to uh, spit them back and uh, instruct someone else on that. I, yeah. you know, I really took to it. And, you know, again, probably another factor that led me right into the EMT type stuff. So. Yeah, very neat. Okay, so rewind. Let's talk about your good experience with your recruiter again. And uh, talk about like the first place you and Zach had to kind of overcome together as a couple being a woman newly in the Navy. Like, what things did you guys expect? How soonly did they want you to move and relocate? Because as you guys know, southeastern Minnesota is basically <laughs> cornfields and not a lot of naval need. So yeah, can you talk about like your first timeline event as a couple going into the Navy together? Sure. Uh, let's see. So first of all, um, I had no idea. I had absolutely no idea. And no one does. No one has any clue what they're doing when they enlist in any military branch, I'm sure. Uh, the, the major thing that I was looking for was I wanted to pick my job. I wanted to know what my job was before I said any sort of uh, pledge to my country. You know, there's no way I'm going to commit my life to something and then have them throw me into either something I didn't like uh, as far as a career or um, something more dangerous than I was thinking, you know, something like that. Absolutely. So again, absolutely. And how, and how smart of you, Lily, to like know that you needed that state of reassurance, because I bet people that don't have a husband haven't even thought about maybe mm -hmm. that, that early yeah. on. And then all of a sudden they're in a contract that they, you know, that's messing with their own personal need for a family or whatever. Absolutely. And Zach has always been a part of my decision making process. I've, you know, I've always included him on, you know, I tried to give him as much information that I knew and that the recruiters telling me and that we can decide together. So that was definitely a factor in that, uh, especially choosing the Navy specifically, because that's how they, you know, contract their sailors is uh, you pick your job and then you enlist. So, sure. Um, so that was huge. Um, let's see. So as far as the timing goes, uh, they were pretty lenient. I, I wanted to spend the holidays at home uh, in Minnesota before I shipped off to boot camp. And so they were able to accommodate me on that. I left for boot camp at the end of January. And kind of after that, uh, Zach and I were at the Navy's whim for... Uh, like three years, to be honest, um, between boot camp. And then right after that, I went to a school. And right after that, I went to C school, which are just um, like advanced trainings that will um, teach me the exact job that I'm going to be doing. And so that total length was about a year. So between boot camp, a, a school, C school, you know, it was a lot of fun because my my C school was in San Diego, California and that was fabulous. I loved it there. It was um the weather was always nice. There's so much to do, there's so much to eat. Um Zach was able to come and visit me a couple of times, so that was really fun. But I will say that during your training time in the military, they do not offer a lot of freedoms. 
And so I was very restricted on what I was able to do, how late I was able to stay out. Uh, in fact, for a long time, and this is well after boot camp, Zach and I still were not living together because I was required to live on base. As a student, I had to live in their student housing. And so Zach and I were were further separated. Um, you know, it wasn't just the boot camp thing. It was basically my whole school. So, you know, we're talking a year of being separated almost. Yeah. Just not- visiting here and there. Yeah. And also, Tess, this is when you were going through your cancer stuff. So me being away from home was very, very difficult because away from my husband, away from my, one of my best friends who was going through this incredible life changing, you know, yeah. event. And, you know, school was really hard for me because it was very technical and um, I had to go to the after school tutoring a lot and, you know, being a just being apart from my husband was really, really hard. Yeah, looking back, like being away from from Zach in that way, and I know we'll touch on this too when we talk about your deployments, but like what has that taught you as an individual about time and our present moments too and being able to look back on them? Because like people listening have no idea what it's like to be deployed or be away from a loved one for so long. Mm-hmm. And like that can be so hard on a person's psyche. And again, we're going to talk about this with your deployments and with your um, job as like a suicide prevention leader on the ship. But what did that teach you even before your deployments about being away from him? Did you feel discouraged um, going into this, knowing that like that is a commitment you had to give up? Yeah. Yeah. I definitely took that for granted and I didn't realize how often it would be that Zach and I would be separated. I had no idea. So, um, like I said, I took our time for granted. I even even with my my home, my immediate family, my mom and my dad and things like that, just living so far away, I never really thought about missing birthdays and anniversaries and weddings and you know all these um, fun events that I just always was there for. It was easy for me to get to. And now it was like getting home was pulling teeth and, you know, a yeah. lot of times not even possible. So yeah, yeah I definitely that. cherish my, my time with my family now for sure. Because, you know, I even, you know, I was talking to my mom the other day, waking up with Elliot in the middle of the night. I, Every single time it happens, I still think to myself, but I'm here. I'm here with him. I'm able to do this. I'm able to sit with him while he's sick or while he's not feeling well or having a nightmare or whatever, because there's so many months out of my naval career that I was not, I wasn't even there. I wasn't even present. So yeah. And what a, what an amazing thing to learn, even, even though we're 32 years old, like I think it's an amazing thing to learn. Well, excuse me, we're only 31, but pretty soon you're going to have a birthday <laughs> and I'm going to have a half birthday. Gosh, darn it. So, um, yeah, what an amazing thing, though, to learn, because isn't that what life is all about? Change and growth is so hard, right? But it stretches us and it helps us be better individuals. And Lily, I even think like how how much better of a parent and a wife will you be having that mindset that like mm. the presence is something to be grateful for? 
Yes, yes, absolutely. I I 100% agree with you on that. I will never take any of that for granted anymore. <laughs> and I don't think yeah. that's necessarily a bad thing. It's people, no. you know, but it's still, like I said, even in those times when I could be really grumpy about, you know, being here and being awake in the middle of the night and blah, 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 blah. It's, I'm, I'm here. I'm able to be here. So, yeah. Well, very good. Okay. So you were talking about being away from Zach. So sorry to go on Mm -hmm. a little tangent there about Mm -hmm. um, just time and what that means and what that effect has on you as a parent. But yeah, what a great thing to learn. So yeah, if you can, can you get us back on track? You were, you were sharing about being far away. Yeah. So Like I had had mentioned, Zach and I were apart. Um, when I when we first joined the Navy, we didn't have children. So when I talk about Zach and I being apart, he was he was my world. He was uh, you know us was it. <laughs> so um, all of my training essentially we were apart, and just being able to visit here and there um, a week back and forth. Um, I might get some leave and go home to see him, and he might be able to take some time off work and come out to California to see me, blah, blah, blah. And immediately after my sea school, so all my training is done, my boot camp's over, I'm ready to join the fleet, and I get assigned to a ship uh, that is going on deployment, like right there. So here we are again facing, you know, I think it was a seven-month deployment completely apart you know there was no option at all to be able to visit on top of the year that we had already spent you know apart so you know at this point I'm thinking all right I'm gonna give the fleet a try I've done my school like I just gotta get through but honestly if you give me the choice right now I would there was I would not go I would I would quit and go back to being a civilian and um you know yeah in my opinion at the time thought I would be happy because this is just, it's too much. It is way too much. So, yeah. But how did you know, like your comfort level as far as spending time with these people for seven months, talk a little bit about how you knew, how you knew or didn't know all of your (laughs) sailors, because I think for me, I would really lean into like the community and knowing that like, other people are going to be going through the same thing, but none of you knew each other. Like I, these are even people that were in boot camp with you. Right. No, these are, you know, I hadn't gone to boot camp with them. None of them were in school with me. I knew zero people. And we're, you know, the first ship that I went to was in Hawaii. So, um, yes, everyone get your, Oh, but you were in Hawaii. No, that's not how it is. Uh, we still, Hawaii, work. yeah. We and Hawaii isn't home like right so far away so different culturally and you wouldn't necessarily expect that because it's within the United States but it really is like a kind of a new country uh but um but you're right these people I had no idea who they were I was about to spend seven solid months with them in close quarters you know trying to learn a job that I had quote-unquote been trained for but you know the classroom stuff is nowhere near the actual experience of on the job training so uh I was very nervous um and as the early weeks went on I it got worse and worse because you know it always gets worse before it gets better my just the the information overload 
itself was it was almost crippling i i will say it's like drinking from a fire hose there's so much to learn on a ship on top of like i said trying to get to know my coworkers and not going home at night i i went down to my my little bunk bed and all of that was strange to me and um you know still being away from my family and uh, you know the the deployment is like eh, that's what we gear up for that is the real deal so in the months prior to a ship deploying there is a lot of training and a lot of preparation that goes into um the personnel and the ship itself to get it ready to go you got to be top notch that's that deployments are why we're the you know, why we're in the, in the military. That's how we protect and all that stuff. So that was really scary to me to be counted on and have a lot of pressure when I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> Honestly, I like, this is all brand new to me. I don't know anything. So, um, I, I don't know. It was just, it was very, very difficult. It was probably month four three or four, when I finally started to um, get comfortable and actually enjoy my coworkers. And oh my gosh, Lily, 90 days, Mm -hmm. 90 days of discomfort, water hose, (laughs) like, yeah, I just feel for you. And I remember thinking, yeah, those days when I was in cancer treatment, like, okay, I'm in the fight of my life. But like, I have loved ones that are literally fighting for the safety of our country in order to have this care. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, you are truly, I mean, a service member and again, super, super um, giving and sacrificial with your time. And were you able to remember that emotionally, like what your duty was? Um, I'm sure your faith played a huge part in keeping you afloat. No pun intended. Uh, (laughs) During that time, because I don't know how anyone could get through 90 days of just discomfort and getting used to something without a faith in, and a hope in God and in your community there on the ship and what your mission was and even your faith in Zach back home that he'd be there for you when you returned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it was. And actually, we were really lucky because as a destroyer, we are part of a... um a larger uh, fleet, I guess you could say. So we don't necessarily go out on deployments by ourselves. We have uh, a few other ships with us. And so uh, we were able to have a chaplain on board coming from the carrier for almost a month and a half uh, before he had to go to another ship because he just kind of bounces around um, as our, our little carrier group goes. But he was really helpful just because he started with you on the deployment. Yep. He started wow. with us. And what so, a blessing. Mm-hmm. yeah. So I was able to just basically, basically tell him like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like I honestly, I'm so overwhelmed with everything that's coming at me right now. I can't succeed in anything. Like I'm, you know, I'm getting fed information from you know, what felt like 
720 degrees of, you know, just getting it showered on me and I can't, I can't absorb it all. I can't handle it all. I can't perform. I can't succeed. I can't do this. And, you know, just, and he was very, he was like, take a breath. (laughs) You are going to do great things like this. People are not expecting you to know everything. They know you're brand new. They know you're learning. They know all of this. It's just the the pace of the ship requires them to spit information at you at this speed. And whatever you can pick up is what we're going to go with. And you right. will, you know, you will get it and you will just keep at it. And I was like, <laughs> okay, okay. So, but I will say there were many, many tears and many, many times when I had to be by myself and just like take some breaths you know, go topside and um, appreciate where I was, you know, because if you think there were several times when I'm topside by myself, maybe early morning, I'm just going to set the scene for you. The sun is rising. The ocean is the most beautiful blue that you've ever seen. And you'll never see a blue like it ever. I've never seen a comparable blue like it. I've never seen sunsets and sunrises like that. And when you think about where you're at in the world at that moment, you're in the middle of the ocean, like surviving with these 200 people that you hope have your back and um, just appreciating that. And, and pretty sobering. It is. It is. And, and trying to remind yourself that that is where God wants you right now. And whatever lessons I'm learning and however I'm growing is what he needs and what he wants. And and I will say that without the Navy, I, I my faith grew a lot stronger. Actually, you know, during every deployment, because it is hard. And, you know, any difficult time in life will help your faith or, you know, give you the endurance. But I don't know. I just... To be uncomfortable is when, in uh, for me at least, when I rely most on God. And so um, that was a very uncomfortable time for me. And yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, I did grow. And like I said, there was a lot of tears and a lot of alone time. But I'm- just knowing, you know, this is where I'm supposed to be. These are the lessons I'm supposed to be learning and the yeah. experiences that I'm supposed to be having. So, yeah. I'm so glad you brought up the, you know, and you said, I'm going to set the scene. I'm so glad you brought that up because that was literally the next question was in those three months and those 90 days where you felt like you were finally just grappling at what you could handle and what you could bring to the table all while trying to like mourn the loss of not having Zach right by you and your family right by you. And, you know, heck, being able to just call me and have me say some BS on the phone to you to make you giggle like I can't imagine Lily. And, and so what I I know you were never going to give up right in those night in those 90 days. But how often could you truly be alone with God? Because you're talking about a small ship with 250 people. Like, what did that look like for you? Were there times where you were like, I cannot wait to get off my ship so I can go crawl into this hole and be alone? What did that look like? Because <laughs> yeah. I know, I'm a very social person. But like, I would have needed those quiet moments. Yeah. 
Yeah, there are are there are few and far between. Um, if you kind of know the spaces in the ship, then you could probably get away. They're not always very pleasant spaces, uh, maybe very tight or very loud or whatnot. But there's always somewhere you can go, pop in your headphones. You know, this is going to sound um, kind of terrible, but there was one spot very close to my work center that I would go probably, I don't, gosh, what was it? Down three flights of stairs or three decks. And then behind the ladder well, it was, you know, nobody could see you. No one could hear you. I just popped my headphones in and just kind of sat there for a while and and gathered my thoughts. But honestly, being outside was my favorite because we didn't really get out that much. Um, so when I remembered to go get some sunshine, I would go topside. And you can usually find somewhere that people aren't, you know, there because we all have jobs. It's not like we're just wandering the ship. You know, we have to be in places at certain times and things like that. So um, the top side of the ship isn't typically there might be people working, but they're not paying any attention necessarily. So just go up there and take a couple deep breaths, enjoy the sunshine for a bit and then back to the grind. Yeah. Okay. So talk about Bibles, boats, and boobs. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Why did you start it? Why did oh, you gosh. want to? I mean, had you journaled like this whole time? Uh, was there a point where you were like, I need to write my thoughts down or mm-hmm. like, just talk a little bit about that. Why the title, by the way, I love it. <laughs> so, okay. I, I forgot that I started that. So I, it definitely started because I needed to journal. I needed to write things down um, because for whatever reason at that time, that's how I could um, articulate my thoughts and my feelings. I didn't necessarily have any close friends yet. Uh, my husband wasn't around. I couldn't call you up to us. So, you know, writing things down uh, was kind of my outlet. And then as I started to experience and gain knowledge about the Navy and deployment life and things like that, I realized how little I knew about anything and then thought to myself, well, my family and friends know even less than me. So it was kind of a way to educate them also and keep them posted on how I was doing because there was no way that I was going to be able to email my mom and my sisters and my friends and my husband and my in-laws because it's just like, I don't have time for that. Not to mention the connectivity out in the middle of the ocean is very limited. And so I thought to myself, I'll just start a blog. That way, whoever wants to read it, whoever wants to be updated on where I am in the world has access to it. And it's also an outlet for me to be able to, you know, express and, and kind of talk about my experiences and my feelings. So, um, I loved it. Yeah. It makes me feel a lot closer to you too. And, and, You're so honest in there about your feelings and about what you're struggling with and how your faith has pushed you through. And it was just so cool to have it. So, yeah, the title. Talk about that. So, basically, so first of all, they all start with B's. So I was like, oh, I'm clever. Ha ha. But <laughs> the the main thing is I wanted people to know, 
those three things about me, those three major things that I, you know, uh, was a God fearing woman, <laughs> uh, sailor. So yep. Bible, Bible boats and boobs. And boobs. Yep. And you know, at the time in my life, that's, you know, that it was me. So that's yeah. kind of, I guess, how, I Maybe don't know. Maybe one day you'll write a book called Bibles. Maybe. <laughs> I should go back and read some of the stuff because I, I don't think I did anything, any posts or anything after that deployment. Maybe a little bit after we got back, but definitely not my second deployment. Because by then I knew it. I didn't need the outlet as much I I was very confident in my job and confident in the ship functions and I knew my my um fellow sailors and things like that so I didn't necessarily feel as uncomfortable definitely still kind of was not fun because you know I was away and all that stuff but uh my first deployment and my second deployment were 180 degree different so yeah well, I have a feeling you'll revisit that later in the future. And if not, it, it'll be a cool thing to look back on. So yeah. um, I'll be sure to include your Bibles, Boats and Boobs blog so that other people can take a look at it if I, you're willing. Yeah, that's fine. I'm, I'll need to go back and read it. I'm curious myself. Yeah. And like I said, Lil, anytime you can add to that and give people an update. Like, hey, I have you know, one bun in the oven. I've got one baby at home. Like, here's where I am now. I think it's interesting, too, knowing you throughout your um, naval career, just the amount of times your jobs have changed because mm-hmm. you were a student oh, yeah. at the beginning and then they deployed you. And um, yeah. you kind of explained to the listeners how your job started to shift after your deployment and living in Hawaii. You started to work more in firearms, like you were saying. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, if you don't mind talking a little bit about what your duties on the ship were day to day. Sure. So my official training uh, as a fire controlman uh, put set me up for weapons department. So fire control is not firefighting, just to be clear. I know that that's confusing. Fire control as in firing weapons, firing missiles, you know, firing things like that. The so. Pig. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, my specific weapon is a Tomahawk missile. So there's a lot of fire controlmans, but my avenue, I guess you could say, or my flavor is um, Tomahawk missiles. So that is what I'm trained to launch, and we maintain the, the system that launches it. Um, so again, that throws, that throws me into weapons department. So I, we do deal a lot with everything else weapons. So, um, some of the other missiles, most of the other guns, um, we've got a lot of different firing capabilities on even just a destroyer. So yeah. I'm familiar with all of them, but again, my expertise is the missile system. And so yeah. can you talk um, about your control room, <laughs> what it looked like? Again, set the scene. Describe it, Lily. Sure, sure. No one has ever, probably listening to this, been inside of a control center. Yeah. And also talk about, like, you know, talk about your partners on the same team as you. Where are they standing? How many people does it take to, you know, share whatever you can detail-wise about what that looks like. So my work center itself is a top secret space, which means um, we have to use a code in order to enter. And there's only certain people on the ship who have authorization to be in there. So um, so you type in your code, you, you enter. 
you're looking at basically probably six refrigerator size cabinets of electronics, just like beeping things and cat, you know, things that you open hard and drives and all just in a line. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. They're in a line and it's super, super cold in there because of all the electronics they have to, um, they give off a lot of heat and they have to be maintained at a certain temperature in order to function. And so it's literally like probably 60 degrees in there at oh any given gosh. time. We have winter jackets that were assigned because it gets so cold. So, um, so that's what you're looking at. We have, uh, probably two screens affiliated with the equipment itself directly. And then we've got one desktop for our like administration work type stuff. And then there's a small little nook in the back that is kind of free space, I guess. Um, so <laughs> when you're on a ship, you literally live there uh, on deployments. There's no living room space. And so we deal do with what we can. So um, there's probably four camp chairs down there. And um, we did actually were able to mount a TV. And so we would hook up our laptops and be able to watch TV down there or movies or not TV, but movies and stuff um, during our off time. But for the most part, it's, um, yeah, it's just equipment. It's like I said, refrigerator sized cabinets of, you know, lights and beeping noises yeah. and cd-roms and you so know does it, does it look like what it does in the movie <clears throat> like did those screens to you look like what it does in the movies so so that's our work center now we have another space where we work out of um it's kind of what uh, so my work center is like my main job that's what i get paid to do um things like that but I also have what I kind of like to call chores uh, or what would be the equivalent of chores. So we there's certain things that the ship needs in order to function just in general that have nothing to do with my job, a.k.a. cleaning or, um, you know, the lookout. So we're watching, you know, what's around us and um you know, absorbing information about, okay, I see a ship over here. What is it? Who are they? What kind of capabilities do they have? You know, and there's these simultaneously, simultaneously things going on. Maybe there's an air contact that we're also tracking, trying to figure out who they are, where they're going, you know, all that stuff. How many people are working at any given moment? How many people had off while you were down in the... I mean... Under, I mean, hundred, really, probably, right? Like, really, the only time I'm just trying to think between and like how many people worked in your in that six refrigerator room? Yeah, so my my six refrigerator room was a team of uh, eight to ten people or so, which is actually fairly uh, big for yeah. a work center because. When when you actually launch missiles, when you launch tomahawks, there are uh, so many things to keep track of that you need a team of six to eight people at the least to make it happen. And so uh, we actually had quite a few more people than your average work center would, uh, but we 
we needed it. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't an option. We have to have these people who know how to work the equipment and know how to launch. And you were learning. Yeah, too. Mm -hmm. So how many other people were learning with you when you first started? It was just me and one other girl had joined us probably two months or so after we left for deployment. She joined us in Guam. And so she and I were pretty good buddies because we were learning together basically yeah. at the same time. So, um, but yeah, there's it's amazing. I don't know. As far as your comment about the T, te- you know, what you would see on movies, um, it honestly looks pretty much like that. I, I would yeah, say like it's very. Big red button. Is there a big red button? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's so funny that you mentioned that because, you know, when I was told I was I would be a fire controlman and then that I, I was going to launch missiles, that's what I was looking forward to. I was like, yeah. yes, there's like this little plastic cover you flip up and you put the key in and then you hit the red. Oh, no. Yeah. It's not like that at all, unfortunately, because I know, right? It's it's uh, computer. Everything is computer oriented. So it's literally where we are launching a multi-million dollar firearm with a click of a button. Yeah. Like a click of the mouse. Right. It's going to be a little bit more intricate than just a big red button. That makes sense. That would be far more satisfying, but... It's yeah, not the reality. Oh, not the reality. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so funny. So, but but yeah, the, there's basically just picture a very dark room uh, with a ton of computer screens, um, radar screens. You know, there's big charting tables and things like that. Lots of telephones. Every space or every computer has a telephone so that we can you know don't have to get up from our spot. And that's so nice. Would you like eat lunch in there? Like would you guys all eat together? No, 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 no. So so this specific room that I'm talking about right now, the really dark one with all the computer screens, is also a locked space. It's the um information center, the combat information center or CIC like we call it. We in the Navy, we like acronyms. So, so that space, you weren't allowed like anything. No electronics, as far as you couldn't have a, a e-reader or, you know, people use their cell phone a lot for like alarm, their alarm clock or their games or books or something like that. Nothing like that has to be left behind. No food. You could have water, but it had to be, you know, locked up. There's just so much. Yeah, there's, there's so many so electronics equipment. and stuff in yeah. there. Mm-hmm. And I suppose, too, if everybody brought their <laughs> laptops, like, you'd be at risk for, one, breach of security. But then, uh-huh. two, like, um, even just having good signal, I guess, you wouldn't want to interfere with any of that equipment with right. your yep. internet. Yeah. And there's no space. You literally, every computer at, or um, radar ha- has a purpose and is needed. And so they're just lined up efficiently and there's no space for anything extra. So yeah, very, very interesting. Is there anything else you want to share about your duties on the ship? As long as we're here talking about it, what were things that you loved? What were things you hated? What were things you had to get used to? (laughs) So a lot of people don't know about what we call standing watch or your um, duty days. So standing watch is kind of like how I describe my ch- my chores. It wasn't my necessarily my primary job. My primary job was to maintain the 
missile launching system. That is my job. But my chore is to also stand watch. So um, my my watch station was to monitor various contacts. And when I say contacts, I just mean um, different sea vessels or under the water vessels or air vessels or air contacts and figure out who they are and um, whether they're friendly or hostile or unknown and just track them. I just needed to know where they were at any given time. And so that was my, my watch. Battleships. Yeah. Yeah, basically. A6. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Who are they? What are they doing? (laughs) And are they a threat? Exactly. So so that was my watch station. So that was a good uh, 6 to 12 hours a day of of my chore. Not not my job, my chore. So uh, we probably, I would count on five hours of sleep every night. Which at first was really, really difficult, uh, but your body gets used to it, and and, um, I don't know, it was just kind of crappy getting up in the middle of the night, because sometimes your watch fell, you know, midnight to 6 a.m., like, that really stinks, because then you have your whole work day after that, everyone, we're up at 6, and starting our day, and all that stuff, so, so that is underway, that is while we're out at sea. Duty days uh, in port look a little bit different. So while we're not on the water, I don't need to be monitoring those contacts because we're in Pearl Harbor. We're not, we're quote unquote safe. We're not paying attention to that at the moment. So my job shifted to protecting the um, entrance point of the ship. So there's, on a destroyer at least, there's one spot that you can come and go from the pier, on and off the pier, to the ship. And so you have three or four watch standers, um, two of which are armed, just maintaining that the entrance. You got to show your ID, make sure, you know, you actually have business on the ship, um, you know, that if you're a visitor, that you're recorded, things like that. So yeah, it makes sense. I mean, mm-hmm. not, uh, like you said, there's so many moving parts. You have to make sure you're yeah. keeping your servicemen safe on the boat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's, you know. Did you like days, that? Did you like the watch? Once I. Security? Yeah. Once I, once I learned it and was used to it, it wasn't so daunting. But the thought of of being responsible for the safety of every sailor on board, essentially, um, and carrying a weapon and being responsible for that was, you know, like I said, it, it took my, my general mindset is, you know, I'm a very friendly person. I trust people easily. I am, uh, I think I'm approachable, (laughs) you know, my mindset is not, you know, keep my, my, Hand, hand on, on my, my weapon yeah. and, you know, figure out who you are, why you're here, you know, be suspicious. That's not my, so to do that, you know, six hours a day was mentally tasking on me, at least. As some people, it just comes natural. Uh, but I was, it was a little, it tense. took a lot of work. Yeah. 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 But it and, was fun. It was, you know. Yeah. And weren't most people like, 
Lily, do you feel like you were able to pretty quickly figure out what their purpose was coming to your face and saying, I want to get on the ship? Like, I feel like pretty quickly with only like three questions, you would be able to de-escalate yourself and realize like, okay, this person's safe, like let them go, whatever. It's exactly it, it. You know, most of the people coming and going, I know them. They work here. They're in uniform. Like I, that was not, you know, that wasn't the daunting part to me. It was, you know, looking out on the pier at, you know, maybe the contractors who I don't know and they're in civilian clothes and why are you here? They don't know you're coming. So, yeah. you know, so just kind of trying to decipher that and, and, um, yeah. I don't know, but it was, like I said, it, it was still kind of fun. Um, I didn't love, you know, cause that's a 24 hour, it's manned 24 hours. So again, you could get a watch that's in the middle of the night and then have to work the next day. Yeah. It's just like kind of a drag, but it yeah. just is what it is. And, and when we're, when we have duty days, we sleep on the ship. And so we're not able to go home to our families. So that was something to get used to. Um, yeah, I don't know. I I was asking Tyler, like, before bed last night, I asked him, I was like, are there any questions you think I should ask Lily? And the, the one thing he said was, does what happens on the boat stay on the boat? <laughs> okay, so, so he is not completely wrong in asking that question Tess you can put this in the podcast or not but um I'm putting it in there uh, it it's it can be okay so just put yourself in this situation you're on deployment with the same you know 200 people for seven months straight you haven't seen your family that's limited contact um we get to get off the ship at like a port visit and have free time I a couple of days out of the month at best. And so your stress level is very high and you may or may not be lonely. And so when we port places, uh, people can get a little risque. Oh, I see what you're going with. And you know, Lily, this is actually a really good segue to mental health and your job becoming a leader in the suicide department. This is the same, this is the same alley. So let's go there. Okay. So when, when we get to ports and we're, we have some free time, you know, we haven't gotten to spend our money in, in a few weeks. And so we got, you know, a surplus. You're itching to spend. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, alcohol is a big thing. Temptations um, come out. Yes, they do. And, and they do. Um, like I said, a lot of alcohol, a lot of sex, you know. Um, yeah, unfortunately, because, yeah, I bet some of these countries, like, some of these ladies in these countries might oh, be very excited. Please, some, yeah. some good-looking, you know, stud yes. And ship. when we're talking. And also no ties um, when you leave. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Exactly. You have no. Yeah. So the unfortunate part that I see in it all is sometimes there are people who um, have a family at home or are already committed to someone and they choose to relieve their stress in that manner. Yeah. That would be hard for me, Lily. Cause then, yeah, again, how do you, how do you trust that they have your back when they're not even loyal to their wife or husband back home? Yeah, it's hard to see, but uh, it does happen. And but again, you know, put yourself kind of 
picture yourself there. It's, it's, if you don't have really strong moral morals and uh, a faith hey. to back that, that up, I can absolutely see where that, and not to mention when you, when you start to throw alcohol in the mix, your judgment gets clouded and almost out the window. And so absolutely. someone who wouldn't normally do that, maybe, you know, is influenced by, by the alcohol. So, or any other drug. So, so is there a rule on the ship then? Like, like if you're, superiors were to hear two people talking about their sexy time last night or mm-hmm. their super drunken night last night, would they be like, shut up, this isn't appropriate? Or, well, or when you laughed about it, like, what does come back on the ship? Well, a, a lot of nasty, a lot, sometimes a lot of nasty. Like, I uh, experienced leadership having relations with their subordinates and um yeah it's it can get yucky and and the navy has very specific uh rules and laws to military you. laws against that like that is not okay it's not professional it's recognized as you're breaking the you yeah. know like i said the military law and so theoretically and legally you can get in trouble lose your job all that stuff however it doesn't always happen because people keep it hush hush but you hear about it Mm -hmm. yep absolutely so then like uh and I know I don't want to spend a bunch of time on the nasty stuff because you know it's it sucks to go there but like how often Lily did you witness that those type of relationships seeping into the professionalism of the boat and how things were meant to be carried out? Um, For the most part, I saw people being able to compartmentalize, which sounds terrible, but to get the job done and to function, sometimes that's what's required. Um, There are still a lot of cases of people needing to shift work centers or um, sure just because it's uncomfortable like if, or whatnot. Yeah. Like you're saying if they were to continue a relationship, they would have to maybe move ship. Yeah. So specifically, you know, a few cases um, that were closer to me, they, the two got in trouble. Like, um, we have a UCMJ uniform uh, uniform code of military justice. It's like military law, um, like a civilian would be accountable to, you know, your a police department. Were, right, right. Yeah. So they got in trouble and they were punished. Um, they get like restricted to the ship. So they can't go anywhere. They can't go home. They can't, you know, they live on the ship essentially. They can get docked pay, so oh, you know yeah. half Very months great. pay or whatnot. Yeah. They crap. can get reduced rank. So if they're, you know, an E five, they get docked down to an E four. So that means reduced pay forever. I mean, until and you get promoted again yeah. and right. on no, your record. Right. Yeah. So I mean, there's definitely punishments, um, and it definitely happens, but it. It also, a lot of it gets swept under the rug because 
either. How do you feel about that? How do you feel about that? Oh, I hate it. I, that's one of the the major things that I that I cannot stand about the Navy is people just don't have any boundaries. You know, it's and I, then to I would find that very hard to witness and have yeah. to sweep under the rug too. Like, mm-hmm. what the heck? What about the people that have a moral code and are doing their job and doing it yeah. well? And following the rules, and you're proud of the Navy, like yeah. that's why you're giving your time, heart, and soul to it. Yeah, yeah, it can it can get really stressful, and and you know usually when it gets swept under the rug, it's because both parties, for whatever reason, don't want it out in the air. You know, it wasn't necessarily. Um, it was a, a consensual thing and right. uh, it gets swept under the rug because one of them's married or or they don't want to um, disrupt their work center or whatever the case may be. They don't want it on their, their record, whatever. So that's when it gets swept under the rug. But there are plenty of, of cases that, that do go up um, yeah. UCMJ-wise and... I don't know. There's a need for it. That's why it's there. I mean, that's what the UCMJ is for, right? Mm -hmm. So so let's talk about suicide a little bit if you're okay with that. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about mental health and kind of shift it from sex and the hanky-panky and the (laughs) big temptation. (laughs) Like, Lily, uh, one thing that's really sticking out to me and just knowing you as a person is, like, this is grueling work. Like, being Mm -hmm. a naval officer is not easy or seaman is not easy. Like, So, you know, you're talking about nine months of learning and then many, many months or sorry, three months, 90 days of learning, three months of learning. And then many, many months after being out in the middle of nowhere, like you said, when people are stressed, um, they can do a lot of things good and bad. And so how has that impacted mental health for you, even seeing your fellow comrades struggling with these things? Because I'm sure not everybody was set up as well as you as far as your faith and your family and Zach back home and your dreams for the future, the people that don't have those things. um, And then again, being, you know, struggling with all the same feelings you're having, but not having those, you know, concrete frameworks to lean on. What was that like? Can you give an example of maybe someone who struggled and what they struggled with or, or it doesn't even have to be a personal story of someone you know, but things that you've seen. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, like like you said, it is very difficult. It's a very demanding job. There's a lot of sacrifice involved, a lot of, uh, you know, time away from your support system that can be very damaging to your mental health. So, there are not a whole lot of ways to relieve stress while we're on deployment because either A, there's no time or B, it's not necessarily what relieves your stress. Um, we have a very, very tiny gym, if you can even call it that. So those of us who who uh, need to get some physical exercise in to, you know, relax and decompress kind of hard to do because there's nowhere there's two treadmills and oh my you know, God. a are you serious yeah. mm-hmm. two yeah, treadmills maybe. and then like how many weights like how many mm-hmm. people could be in there oh uh, i mean three people maybe oh I, my gosh so was it so tiny time 
Not really, because so <laughs> think of running or walking on a treadmill while you're at sea is very difficult <laughs> because you're moving, the yeah. ship is moving, and you're trying to run, and you're like, ah. I feel like you guys need like <laughs> harness hanging from the sea. <laughs> You know what I mean? It's like spinal cord injury. Look at we're having another um, parallel with our lives in a weird way. Never thought we would. Look at that, Lily. I would need to be hung up from the ceiling if I was on that ship. Yeah, yeah. So um, calisthenics are actually probably the best because you can go outside and you have, you know, granted, it's a metal deck or a metal ground it's the exercises that you don't that you don't need equipment for so like push-ups and sit-ups and yeah like that kind of stuff and um one person had brought their laptop out there popped in the insanity dvds and a a few people would be out there doing that so you you have to be creative what a great idea yeah run laps topside you can but the way that the ship's laid out, you can't run a perimeter around the entire ship. It would be like a... <laughs> yeah, you, I mean, you're looking at, like, maybe the size of maybe a gymnasium. So you're doing, like, 12 laps for a mile, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, I didn't even think about that. I didn't even think about, like, just being able to relieve stress through physical activity because I'm a runner. If, if I was on that ship during that time with you I would have been like let's go for a run you'd be like where (laughs) exactly exactly it's very hard so so that you know there's not a lot of of time um if being by yourself is your thing or you know reading or something like that maybe there's no baths no bathtubs there's you know I don't know some people and there's just not a lot of time like like I said I think I was getting five hours of sleep consistently at at night so a lot of times I would choose sleep I'm not you know it's gonna take me an hour to you know go for a jog and then take a shower then I'm only gonna have four hours of sleep right Right, because you have to you're saying a lot of times people would pull their um exercise time out of their personal time but your personal time is already so little that yeah exactly yeah yeah so it can be very tolling you know the biggest thing for me too is not being able to contact my family I you know Zach was my my rock he always made me feel better when I was able to call him but we we don't have that capability at sea I don't you know I can send an email and hope that he gets it in two days and you know sometimes when we have good connectivity we can hop on the Facebook messenger and actually chat you know live which is fantastic yeah but again you and I got to do that and that was incredible to hear (laughs) Mm -hmm. from live and that was you know who knows what time of the day it was for you or for me or you know (laughs) I was happy to have you sister you know me I was doing a lot of bed sitting so anytime you said hi it was amazing to hear from you but yeah I just cannot imagine like not having good mental health and being in a position where I was feeling vulnerable and weak and like how do people get through that when their chaplain's not on board yeah uh I will say that my ship had a really good um we had church every Sunday there was 
well, church, I, I, you know, as best you can have out, out at Sea, we had... There were no church pews. But you had- <laughs> there were no church pews, but it was, you know, 9 a.m. every Sunday, um, someone would come, and it was basically a small group, more or less. It wasn't necessarily a church, you know, someone would have some sort of topic or lesson for the day, and then we would, no one really had any musical talent because there was like seven of us and so we would just listen to like somebody's stuff yeah basically that's so great like you pull up youtube and you you know do hillsong united or oh that's so funny but hey i guess that's better than trying to carry a tune when you really just can't yeah exactly Uh uh-huh yeah so so i will say of of a small community, a small ship, 250 people or so, to have consistently five to seven, eight of us at a, at a time, um, being able to have like a little, like I said, a little small group meeting or church meeting was really great, I thought. Um, but, you know, again, that helped me. There's plenty of other people who could not figure out a way to outlet their stress. And so it does become um, scary. You know, yeah. there's a lot of suicides in the military in general. I, you know, I know that it's not just a Navy thing. I know that a lot of uh, service members struggle with suicidal thoughts and and even after, you know, getting out and they're in the civilian yeah. world they struggle too because oh, I can imagine I can imagine yeah <clears throat> if it doesn't get you on the ship there are days when you're off that mm-hmm. because it's such a rigid schedule and like you said your body consistently gets used to it and you do what you can but then getting back into civilian life I bet that's mm-hmm. so hard hey everyone I wanted to tell you about Patreon. Patreon gives creators of all kinds the tools needed to acquire, manage, and energize their paying patrons. Support Push Diaries by subscribing to our Patreon page where you'll get exclusive content not found anywhere else. We just started a special series where me and my fiancé Tyler talk about life and how we push forward together. Just go to patreon.com, create a profile, and become a patron of Push Diaries Podcast and thousands of others. Thanks, and we'll talk again soon. How many, like, deaths occurred during your time on the sea? So, oh, God, as far as suicide goes, you you think? Or what do you mean exactly? Uh, Well, we didn't have any, during both of my deployments, we didn't have any actual suicides. However, thank God, uh, dozens of people probably were pulled out of the ship environment, they were pulled off of deployment because they couldn't cope. They they were unable oh to and were starting to have suicidal thoughts. And so immediately uh, they're pulled from the ship environment. They're sent to somewhere on land where they can get the help that they need. But what and happens, Lily, when you're in the middle of the ocean, in the middle of nowhere? Helicopter pickup? You... you 
Yeah, but sometimes it can be a couple of days. And so they're put on suicide watch. So someone has to uh, be with them 24-7, just at all times. Have you ever had to do that? Yes. Yeah. A so few what times. That, yeah, what did that look like? And so, did you feel like you were able to really be with them? Did they want to talk? Did they want to just sleep? Like, what did that look like? Um. Yeah, so... Two specific times I can remember, um, and both times they were my friends. They were in my work center, oh, and is yeah. The, the first time, um, she just wanted to read her book. She wanted to sit and read her book, and um, I was I felt really uncomfortable because we both knew why I was there, and it was kind of like this white elephant in the room yeah I I don't know I think she was probably much more than I was I I don't know I guess I was just feeling awkward or maybe I felt bad for her yeah I, I don't well, know you're an empathetic person I'm sure even just her being your friend it was hard to see her in that way yeah but basically so we just essentially just hung out together I, I mean she wasn't allowed to uh, put hands on equipment because of course in my sure, work yeah. center we work with weapons like that right. is you don't not need to okay use, yeah the 10 <laughs> the keys to the red button <laughs> exactly so well, I just kind of we ate lunch together you know ate every meal together we were in the same um we call it birthing but it's our bunk room or where we sleep and shower and all that stuff so that was fairly easy we would just kind of go to bed at the same time and stuff like that so um and then another time when I had to do it he was also in my work center and that was only for a few hours because he was getting flown off the ship like in the morning or something like that so uh we helped him pack up some of his stuff and um kind of basically said our goodbyes. I think we watched a movie or something. What was like his that. demeanor? Was he more talkative? He was less talkative. In fact, he took me more by surprise than she did because this was her first deployment and um, she had gotten into a little bit of trouble early on and um, was punished, in my opinion, very severely. And oh, so she just not, couldn't to hear Lily. Yeah. She just couldn't get a leg up and, you know, couldn't get over that. Yeah. But he had been on several deployments and, and was, uh, like a middle ranking enlisted sailor, wow. you know, and at that point at the, you're not doing the grunt work anymore. So it's, I don't know. He had some stuff in his personal life going on that yeah. that affected him more than uh, the ship, I think, did. So Yeah, we're all human. And, you know, I think it's pretty amazing, even though it's uncomfortable, because you as a healthy individual, then having to be kind of on watch for these people, I bet it's mm-hmm. uncomfortable, but also so good that they had you there. Because if they had any crazy thoughts or just needed to vent, I know that you were there for them in that way. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was very eye opening. And I, you know, I had a pretty good relationship with the medical department, which is why they assigned me. Yeah, they assigned me 
more often than other people to do the suicide watches because, you know, it was another person that they could swap out with. Uh, Plus I had the, you know, the credentials. I had gone to some training for suicide prevention and stuff like that. So, um, very cool. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to share about that? Um, I guess, no, I don't think so. I, how did you work with the chaplain, if you don't mind me asking, with suicide prevention? Because I remember you filling me in when you were deployed about how that was a new job of yours. And I remember thinking mm-hmm. that's so cool. It really depends on the person uh, who is having the suicide thoughts, whether they want the chaplain involved or not. Sometimes they're all for it. Uh, and, otherwise, and other times they don't want anything to do with it, which is um, either avenue, either way is is fine for my role because basically all I do is point them in the right direction. So they, I'm designated as a person that they, they can come and talk to, um, off the record. And, uh, then if they need more information or they would like to talk to a chaplain or would like to go to medical, uh, or, you know, take it further, then, you know, I can get them set up with the right people. Right. So but then now didn't you, didn't you and the chaplain work pretty closely together, not necessarily with the sailor that had the suicidal thoughts, but didn't you and the chaplain, cause you guys, weren't you forming like, um, some kind of plan? Like, I, I feel like I remember you saying to me that you worked very closely with them on the actual suicide prevention plan and how you would deal with these sailors that were dealing with that. Mm-hmm. Do you mind just sharing a little bit about how you professionally would work with the chaplain together to figure out a safe plan for these sailors? So I, I think I re- remember what you're referring to. So we had a plan. September is suicide per- suicide awareness month or suicide prevention month or something about that. I can't remember exactly. And um, we had organized a plan to raise awareness and it was kind of like a mock uh mock suicide I guess you could call it which sounds terrible now that I'm saying it out loud basically what I wanted to do is is make it more more real real to the sailors like this is a real problem like you know because all that some sailors see is their coworker crying, oh, I'm going to be, I'm going to kill myself. And then they get pulled off the ship. They get to relax and read all day and they don't have to finish deployment. And now they have to do their work because they're not going to replace them, unfortunately. It's just the way it is. And so they see it as like a cop out, like a being lazy or, or whatnot. So I wanted to make it a little more real and pull, you know, take a sailor who is very well known on the ship um, and, and pull them out and kind of, you know, hide them away for half of a day. And, to pretend that they were gone. Yeah. And here's but, what you have to do to pick mm-hmm. up slack. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so I just wanted them to feel like the emotional side of it versus, you know, the, uh, reactions. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it didn't get approved. Wait, so you requested that this be. Yeah. Yeah. I requested it. Like, yeah, I don't think that that's that crazy. I mean, you were literally just saying, even if it was three hours, I mean, that would be very eye opening. Yeah. Like you said, to not have that person you were counting on as a team member. 
Yeah. But, you know, there was a lot of logistics involved. We would have, we would definitely have had to contact their family and, you know, just in case word got out that so-and-so committed suicide, that was not actually the case. You know, we just wanted to make sure that if there was just too much, too many logistics to put into play while we're trying to be on deployment. So, um, cool though, Lily, that you even suggested it. Like I'm even thinking in the future, just the fact that you were encouraging that, that could, you could already be shaping something that you had no idea about that they're working behind the scenes on, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, I didn't, we didn't do as much as I wanted to do, um, for it just because, you know, the primary duties of everyone on the ship are require a lot of energy. And so to do kind of the, the like secondary that. type yeah. things oftentimes get, you know, pushed to the side. So, um, yeah, like your feelings weren't hurt, but you you're just saying like you'd love to see down the road, maybe something that helps make it more real for the sailors that just have no idea, no empathy yeah. for how hard it can be for their neighbor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very cool. Okay. So what solutions would you like to see? Um, Like, you know, we were talking about not much time off. Do you feel like there needs to be a safe place for a sailor to go to you or a chaplain and say, listen, I know this is hard for everybody, but I really think it would be beneficial for me to have a day off or an extra two hours for even a week to focus on my self-care. Mm-hmm. It really depends on leadership, honestly. They have the authority to uh, give time off or give certain privileges. And in my opinion, my commanding officer did a fantastic job. My The first two COs that I had were great. They were work hard, play hard. You will get rewarded if you bend over, you know, backwards for us and do this, this one time, eat this poo sandwich that we have to give you. And then you can, sorry, that's the meal. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, there were so many times when just the little things, you know, we were rewarded with, um, so on a typical basis, we have to be clean shaven and we, you know, the guys have to be clean shaven and the girls have to wear their hair in a, in a tight bun or something. And so on deployments, um, this, the commanding officer had the authority to relax that if he, if he wanted to, if he thought that we deserved it. And so both of the deployments, um, that I had, the captains allowed us to not put our hair in a tight bun, you know, I probably just put it in a ponytail and the guys had beards and, you know, it's a little just thing. boost morale a little bit. Yeah. I love it. And we had, you know, when they could give us what they call a holiday routine, they would. Um, it, it's like typically on a Sunday or a holiday, they would give us quote unquote the day off. So we weren't required to do like the the day-to-day like ship chores kind of we still had to obviously stay afloat and so you know there were certain things that had to be done but But you can prepare for the holiday the next day like okay we're gonna wash toilets today because tomorrow we're not washing yes exactly exactly so you know they would do that they 
some of the the people who are responsible for intercommunication, so maintaining the phones and the intercom system and the um, stuff like that, they would play movies on the ship had like a special channel that you, if you had a TV and you were connected to that channel, you could watch the movie that they're playing. From and so you are on the ship. Very mm-hmm. cool. And so sometimes, sometimes we got pre-released movies uh, when it was one of the Avengers movies. I want to say it was Winter Soldiers, something, I don't, I don't know, one of the Marvel movies. We had seen it like the week before it came out because they, you know, I don't even know how we got it. They that is pre-released so cool. it to us, so they were able to play that. What are some of the other perks? I don't know. We got to like wear red nail polish <laughs> You know, yeah, they were just a, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Lily, talk about the port stops. That's fun. Mm-hmm. What were your favorite ports to stop at? Holy crap! I want to go freaking take a mud bath with a oh, like you got to do. Yeah, I mean, bananas. Let's talk about some fun things now. Yeah, I uh, that that was my favorite. I I will say, um, stopping in Thailand was my favorite port stop because of that event. So it was um, myself and I had made a friend on the ship who was actually a transplant. She was coming on our deployment to help us out, but she wasn't assigned to our ship. She uh, was just, she just volunteered. She's like, yep, I'll go, you know, my ship's in the yards and we're not doing anything. Let me come. So I met her on deployment and then um, Will and um, Amy, she and Will worked in the same center, uh, work center together. And so, so there was um, just like four or five of you guys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One of, and which is probably another reason why I had such a good time. Cause those were like my favorite people on the ship. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, we went to this elephant reserve in, uh, Thailand and they rescued elephants from, there's a lot of tourist attractions in Thailand that, you know, you can ride the elephants and and cool stuff like that, I guess. But they don't treat the elephants very nicely. Yeah, and it so, like abuse. Mm-hmm. So this reserve or preserve, whatever you want to call it, rescued the elephants from them. And um, they just kind of roam about. I didn't even see any fences or anything. They just uh-huh. they feed them and they raise them. You know, some of them have babies in in the captivity and they just release them back into the wild when they're ready. And but, yeah, they bathe them and provide food. And I don't know, it was just really, really neat experience. And I think it was very authentic. There were like no rules necessary. I mean, there were rules, but no. um, Be kind to the elephant was the rule. Yeah, it was. Basically, you know, we didn't have to sign any waivers and, you know, never in America would, you know, 20 civilian, you know, people be able to be in the same 50 foot radius as four grown elephants and a baby. Like, that's just there's so much liability there that's, you know, I think pulling those legal fears away, like they don't really have any of I don't, I mean, I don't know. It was just so much That's fun so to be amazing. right there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what was it like being around an animal that big? 
Like, it was it was scary at first because they're so huge and and they could crush you on accident. In were they like, curious about you? Yeah, they they had no problem with people as long as you had a treat. Like we had buckets of bananas. That's they would walk right up to you and like take the bucket from you or you know they were like right up in we touched them and we you know fed them and we bathed with them we had a mud bath with them and um they were they were so so sweet really were you there the afternoon I mean we got there I don't know late morning and then we had we got to do a, so they make paper out of the elephant's poop. And so we you got. You sent me some poop paper. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I was like, Lily sent me poop paper and I'm so happy. Yeah. So we got to uh, learn that process and we made our own poop paper. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and, and then we fed the elephants. And then no, we... you can't skip over poop paper. How do you make poop paper? Well, I don't really. So they they spread the poop out on this like Like a rolling pin? Bench. Or do you use your hands? No, I mean, well, I don't know what they use, but I mean, they <laughs> use their hands, but I, I mean, I just watched at that point. Yeah. <laughs> But they spread it out and dry it. So then it just becomes this like really crumbly, grassy looking stuff. They poop out a lot of fibrous material. Yeah. And then um, they kind of get it damp again and flatten it out and dry it and in these like giant sheets of stuff. And then you squish it in between these screens and like squish out all the water and I don't, I don't know. It's pretty so cool. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So we got to do that. And then we had a little like project time, you know, we glued some popsicles. To, I think my, I ha- I still have my project, but it's probably tucked away in yeah. storage. You'll have, to, you'll have to send us some really cool photos, Lily, of your sure. archives, please. I know yeah. it might take some digging, but yeah. like, yeah, any photos, like I'm sure people would love to see a photo of you and your friends bathing with the elephant and what so what does a port stop look like talk about the security as far as getting off the ship and you you were in was it japan when you did like the light fountain show Mm, thing that was in um i think it was in peru oh it was in peru okay Mm -hmm. yeah so essentially what has to happen is obviously they have to expect us arriving so um for example, in Peru, we'll get all the logistics going. So we need a tugboat to get us, you know, back, like, lined up to the pier. We need power because out at sea we produce our own power, but we can't do that, you know, when we're You're sitting still. strapped to this. Yeah, exactly. So we have to get power. Um, we have to get sewage services. So, again, at sea we just dump it. But we can't do that in somebody else's port. That's disgusting. So. But can't you just keep all the crap in the <clears throat> in the tanks? Do you have like crap tanks? You, or we do. Like, okay. We do, but they're too small for more than a day or so. Oh, okay. So, um, so that what else? We have to get a, a pilot. So a lot of times into a port, there's uh, it's shallow. Some of it's shallow, and so we have to. We don't know what their navi- or what their grounds look like, or what their geography is, or yeah. whatever. 
And so the pilot comes on board and helps us steer the ship around like the shallower parts and whatever and get us, you know, onto the dock. Um, what other services we need? I, so kind of like logistic types like that. Sometimes we need translators because, you know, no kidding. we might show up to. Yeah. So, um, and then, so then we moor to the pier. So we're all strapped on. We got all the power hooked up. We got sewage hooked up, all that stuff. Then there's a matter of uh, gearing up the, uh, you know, that watch I was talking to you about, the four-ish armed people at the entrance of the ship. Then we usually have somebody out uh, in town paroling. Uh, they're called uh, Shore Patrol. And they just kind of act as a liaison, I guess, between the sailors who are out on, on Liberty or having fun and like the local people, you know, we'd rather take care of our own problems no than have them go to, you know, Peruvian jail. Like that's just not right. You might not get out for a while. Oh, no, yes, yeah, sure. Might not. <laughs> so, uh, so we have that watch. So a lot of this stuff has to be set up and, before we even get off the ship. And that's if we even got to dock to, uh, to appear. Sometimes they don't have, sometimes they're not big enough or they don't have a pier for us. So we have to anchor out, you know, way out there and we have to get like tendered back and forth. Oh, interesting. So, sure. So, um, very good. Cool. Were you ever afraid to port somewhere? Can you well, talk about? There were a few places. They always do a, a security threat assessment before we dock, so or uh, before we moor. What does that look like? Just where they are politically in the world. What's mm-hmm. going on? Yep. Usually NCIS prepares something for us, and they just uh, hand us a package, and then we follow the, those rules. What does NCIS so, stand some, for? Thinking of a TV show right now. <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. Naval Criminal Investigative Service. So they're at, you know, everywhere in the world and they create this threat assessment, you know, whatever. And there are certain, maybe certain areas in that city that we're not allowed to go or certain locations as far as like a bar or a restaurant that we're not allowed to go. Um, or, and, and, cultural rules too like when we went to Singapore we were not allowed to chew gum and you can't spit in public um there's you it's considered disrespectful in some countries to point the bottom of your heels towards somebody so if you're like if you're sitting down um when you stretch your legs out like the bottom of like the soles of your feet it's rude to expose. I don't know. I don't even know what country that was in anymore. Yeah, yeah, just cultural differences. Yeah, so they kind of explain that to us, and and cool. um, so we just have to follow all those rules. We're get, we usually have a curfew and um, have to be back on the ship at a certain time. And yeah, yeah, and I suppose those are less about trusting you guys and more about making sure, like, I want you standing here so that I know you haven't been you know, kidnapped or yes, yes, that's yeah, yep. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But we got to go some really cool places. I mean, I, you know, I will. I've been to Australia. I've been to Peru and Chile a couple of times. Been to Brazil, Panama. Um, I've been to China. I've been to South Korea. Uh, 
South Korea. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, there's just some really amazing places that, that I would have never gotten to go if, you know, did the Navy ever, hadn't. Did you ever go up by like Greenland or Iceland? Nope. Nope. We went, so most of my deployments were, um, on the West coast ish, like in the Pacific ocean. And, uh, so which is strange that I've never been to Japan because I mean, that is like, it's a huge naval base and has a huge U.S. Navy presence. And I was stationed in the Pacific Ocean. And I've never been to Japan, which weird, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, so mostly everything over there. So again, Australia, and then we did a lot of stuff in South America, which is kind of uncommon for a Pacific based uh, ship, but uh, we did it twice, so. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I think about Adam anytime we talk about Mexico or Chile mm-hmm. or Brazil. I mean, yeah. it's just he would have loved it. He would have loved yeah. all those stops. I know. I said I was done talking about sad things. <laughs> I want to cover really quick, like, how you have handled death throughout your life and the loss of your good friend Adam and Will. Um, I don't know if you're comfortable talking about that, but in our society, I've noticed, and I'm sure you have too, death isn't something we talk about until it happens. Like, there's no preparation for it. And I think it's also uncommon, Lily, that as two young women like we are, it's not so common that we've had to deal with it so much. So Mm -hmm. can you talk about that for a second and just with the listeners about how you looked at it before and maybe how you look at it now and feel free to talk about Will or just the unexpectedness of his death. Mm-hmm. Whatever you want to share, I'm going to let you just have the floor there. Sure. Um, well, I think my view has changed on death in the recent years, for sure. Um, in the last few, uh, with Adam dying and Will dying, very, both very suddenly, um, both very good friends of mine, my... <laughs> It's the 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 loss that is so traumatic. Um, the loss for the people that they leave behind. Um, and also the fact that neither were... I don't believe he was saved. And um, I Will was not either. And so that to me is... Very sad. Yeah. You know, I I don't think that I did enough to, I don't know. I mean, my opinions and my viewpoint on life and mm-hmm. uh, the afterlife are, I was not vocal about that, and I regret that. And so I see that as, you know, a failure on my part. But, but for me to be afraid of death... As being a saved individual, I'm not necessarily afraid of it for myself. Yes, it's going to be hard, and and um, hopefully I have a lot more years left on this earth. But yeah. I'm not necessarily afraid of of that for myself um, anymore. You know that has come to light in the last few years. But you know, I think for some reason or another, Will's death was a little harder for me because I was pregnant at the time and yeah. I knew that Will had died as a young father. His baby was six weeks old. 
uh, when he died. And so I was so connected to life at that time and couldn't imagine, you know, leaving my, my newborn baby. And so all of that was very traumatic for me. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head, Lily, when you say it's so traumatic for the people they leave behind. Like, Mm -hmm. and then, you know, in Adam's case, he got into some really tough things and was trying to overcome some of his own demons. And you're Mm -hmm. right. It's a very different situation with Will, where he had some health issues that took his life. And yeah, leaving behind his young kid and his wife and, um, it is. It's so hard. It's so hard. And I, I wish we were better equipped as individuals to really deal with it and be able to talk about the grace we receive from Jesus. And mm-hmm. um, it's so hard. I feel like even when I was working in hospice, there were so many times where families wouldn't have tough conversations with their loved ones until days, hours before they were dying. And I think, you know, I'm so grateful for knowing Adam and knowing, I'm sure you're very grateful for knowing Adam and Will too. And the lessons it's taught you with, with the great loss, it's again, to be present and really focus on our families and our health, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, just being thankful for the everyday, you know, I've been at night, we pray with Elliot before bed Aww. and lately just having a thankful heart is what I want for myself. I, it's what I want for, for Elliot. But, you know, these last few months with COVID, I feel like I have been blessed beyond belief. My situation right now is literally the best it has ever been. Yeah. And honestly, probably the best it ever will be. You From know, a pandemic, not- right? Like, look at you turning something that everybody in the world right now is just blowing up with negativity and you're like taking a moment to be grateful with where God's placed you. And like, I'm so glad you brought this up because that was the kind of the end of our um, conversation. I really wanted to talk about COVID and how the pregnancy with your second kid and deployment being canceled. Like those are huge blessings. Yeah. So uh, I was scheduled to deploy in March and that would be right around my son Elliot's first birthday. And so I would be gone a significant time after he's turns one, possibly even, I was actually scheduled to leave before his birthday. So I'd miss his first birthday and the months, several months after that, Zach and I were struggling up until the last point to find a daycare situation because his job um, is such like odd hours and it's consistent, but it includes weekends. It's 12 to 14 hour days. And so we don't, you know, we live very far away from our family. And so to ask someone to watch our child for a significant portion of the day, multiple days a week, including weekends, was just so stressful. Um, and so we were, we were up against, up against we were, we were you know, at a very difficult several months ahead of us and um, not looking forward to it at all and very, very much struggling. And finally, you know, I, there, there was almost a defining moment. I, I remember very specifically in my car, uh, 
I have a 40 minute drive to work. And so I have a lot of time to listen to podcasts or, you know, reflect on the day or, you know, pray or whatever I decide to do. And, and the few weeks with all this struggle and the deployment becoming a reality and things like that, I was just so struggling and so much asking God for peace really like just take care of it you know just let me be okay with this let me understand that you are going to place me in the world where you need me and because I think that's with my child and you think that's you know with these strangers on a ship like okay lord like okay and the second that I actually came to terms with that because I had been praying for that for months but the minute that I actually came to terms with that and was okay with it was when everything changed so between you know the COVID thing um, people weren't going out to the ships at the time they they put a hold on everything and yeah uh, you know I wasn't any longer scheduled to go out on top of getting the news that I was expecting. So, you know, right then and there, uh, you know, no deployment on top of that. So it was, it has been, um, I don't know. I guess I just view that as when you honest to goodness, understand and realize and surrender your life, you know, God will make things happen. So and I truly believe that that is what happened because, like I said, oh, yeah. I had been praying for peace about this situation for months and months and months. And finally, 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 I felt okay with it. Yeah. And two weeks later, bang, bang, bang. Yep. yep. You don't have to go to work for the next, you yeah. know, year. Like, yeah. yeah, you had no freaking idea that that was going to happen. But, no. like, Absolutely. what a testament to God taking care of you, Lily, because you're right. I remember... Every time I'd check in with you, maybe once a week, you would be like, Tess, I'm still just rolling around, not wanting to give this up. Like, I can't imagine not being able to be by my baby, by my son for his yeah. first years of life. Like, I, Lily, I just yes. can't imagine that sacrifice. But you were prepared to give that up. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, again, I didn't but want to. And it took yeah. many, 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 many months of, because this, this, um, deployment and going back to sea had been looming for months prior to this. You know, it wasn't, it's not like it came right. up, yeah. you know, last minute. And so I had a lot of time to mentally prepare and pray about it. But, but as it got closer, it got harder and harder to imagine leaving my child behind. And, and, you know, that's one thing, but Zach would be a single parent for, right. you know, the months after that, taking care of literally everything at everything. home. Yep. And, you know, I don't, I know that that's a reality for some people, like, you know, single parenthood is no joke, but yeah. that's not something that I wanted to put my family through. And I truly did not believe that that was something that God wanted for us either. I just was, I just could not imagine, you know, that design, you know, I, I just, I was so baffled. But again, I Prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. Yeah, and you trusted God, yeah. yeah. And I just love that attitude too. What a, what a healthy mindset for you to be like, God, send me where you need me to be and that's going to be the right place. Like even just looking at it like that is so powerful. And when I went through my cancer stuff, I remember when I would pray too, I would thank God for ailing me with these things that I could handle because I 
couldn't imagine that happening to you or to my mom or to my nieces, like, or my nephew Mm -hmm. or my sister or my brother, like, you know, Lord send me, it's like a scary thing. But if you can just trust that and have open faith that you're going to make it through to the other side, it's going to be all right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day. So, so COVID came, they, they, you know, they said nobody needs to come to work. Um, and then you found out you were pregnant. Um, so it's like a double, it's like a double awesome safeness that you got from God. Like, all right, well, you're yeah. pregnant. There's a pandemic. You can be home now with your babies because you've already given so much time. Yeah. Yeah. It's the pretty, the pretty much the ideal situation at this point. So, and like I said, because, you know, I don't want to take this for granted. I, I want to have a thankful heart. I want to be reminded every day that I get to be home with my child right now. I get to rest, you know, when I feel super big and pregnant and I, you know, I can lay down. I don't have to, you know, be accommodate or accountable to somebody else or, um, yeah. it's just been such a huge, huge blessing to be able to be home. And, and my husband is very, Zach is very, um, appreciative also you know he just said the other day I'm glad that it worked out like this that you're able to be home this summer and um you know incredible yeah yeah Yeah. it could have been it could have looked very different right now (laughs) had you not been pregnant and had this pandemic not Mm -hmm. happen it would have been so different you know Mm -hmm. you'd be topside saying a prayer for Elliot and he doesn't forget you not that he ever would right (laughs) like kids are so adaptive and like the minute you got home you know maybe a week and he'd be warmed back up to you right but it's still unimaginable to think about being a parent and not having like you said even just Zach having you as a counterpart Mm -hmm. um just like when we talked about suicide and doing a mock suicide it's the same thing it's like mommy's not here and -hmm. your baby's not here you can't kiss and hold him and make sure he's okay like that's insane to think about yeah it was very hard to think about. And yeah. But here cool. we are. I'm so glad. Okay. Um, advice to new sailors. Oh, gosh. <laughs> and I want you to talk about contracts, too, because I know that you've struggled with that. And obviously, they want to, you know, stick their hands in you as far as they can. Because, Lily, like, you are a excellent sailor. You're an excellent individual. You're a person with moral and integrity. It's no surprise that they want to latch on to you, but contracts are so tough because like you said, if you didn't have the knowledge going into it, you could have been, you know, streamlined to a totally different position and been locked in for 10 years and have Mm -hmm. no say in it. So advice on contracts, advice on how to handle yourself. Um, If you could just talk a a little bit about that, it would be great. Yeah. You know, I (laughs) ask a lot of questions, Um, you know, take your future uh, in your own hands. And that is, you know, career wise. And, um, you know, there's a lot of benefits that the military offers and take advantage of those things. You know, we've got the GI Bill, they'll help us pay for school. We have life insurance. We have retirement funds. You know, some of the things that aren't necessarily money, like monetary um, things, uh, free medical care. 
yes, it may be spotty at times, but you have it, it you know, take advantage of it and, and consider that when you are transitioning into the civilian world too, you know, that's not free for a lot of people. People pay hundreds of dollars every month in premiums for, for medical care that they still have deductibles for. So, you know, it's, yeah. There's a lot of adult uh, benefits. Zach and I bought a house with the VA loan. I mean, without the VA loan, we probably wouldn't have been able to buy a house just yeah. because of, you know, down payments and closing costs and things. We just weren't prepared. Um, we've managed to get out of debt. We lived in Hawaii for a long time. And um, when you live overseas, there's a lot of monetary bonuses and enticements and things like that. And we decided to get out of debt with it instead of having fun, quote unquote, and spending it. So, um, you know, ask a lot of questions in in that respect. Um, Hang in there. As a young sailor, you get pooped on. (laughs) I'm just going (laughs) to say it. Like, you get the jobs that nobody else wants, and they're hard jobs, and they're the time slots that nobody wants, and and stuff like that. But I promise you, if you just hang in there, your life is going to be so much easier. You make, you're making rank, you're getting your qualifications. Um, you will, you know, you'll be in charge of people before you know it. And then you can, you know, decide for yourself how you want to manage and, and lead those new yeah, things. I think so. that's great advice. Yeah. Just kind of biting the bullet and getting through those first initial months of boot camp and the first deployment, keeping a good attitude. Yeah. yeah. Any advice for people starting a deployment with, with family at home even? Yeah. Um, just be gracious on both sides. Neither one of you, you know, the person on deployment, the person staying at home has no idea what they're getting into. And I, you know, from experience, know that just be gracious, understanding of the other person's situation. There were so many times when, you know, spouses on the ship would complain about how their wife doesn't want them to, you know, spend money on a hotel when we port in blah, blah, blah. And, uh, yeah, or, you know, and, and they just have to realize that we have literally had no break in three weeks. We've been go, go, go 24 seven. Like, let me sleep in a real bed and have a real shower and eat yeah. some food. Like that's, you know, not to mention, I haven't been spending money in three right. weeks, four right. weeks. Right. And you and you deserve it. Like, Mm-hmm. I think it's a really good piece of advice, like be gracious and be understanding of what the other person needs. Because I think a lot of times in relationships when Satan or negative thoughts creep in, it's like you want to control them. You want to control the little things that you do have, mm-hmm. you know, um, I'm trying to think of a different word other than control, but it, it, it sometimes things can become so nitpicky, right, Lil? And like, mm-hmm. When really you're focusing on one little tiny corner of the room when there's all this stuff you could be focusing on. Right, right. And that goes the other way, too. You know, when Zach was home, uh, it was hard for us to get back into a routine after I got back because he had a routine. He had, you know, he has been living at home for months and he has a routine and he has a way of doing things. And, and to let me be a part of that was, it took a little bit of time and, you know, for the person deployed, understand how hard it is for 
the spouse at home to take care of everything. You know, they've got all the kids, all the animals, all the all the groceries running, all the, you know, everything on them. So again, just both ways, be gracious and understanding to, you know, the, the other. And I guess that would be my. Yeah. Yeah. And leaning into community, right? I know it's hard because you guys are moving around so much and, and people are sometimes stripped away from their families and friends, but leaning into community, right, Lily, and, and, and finding supports where you can, Mm -hmm. Getting a counselor, having a, if you're a person of faith, having someone who could be your mentor through those hardships together in a marriage. And then also, like you're saying, for either side of the coin there with the people Mm -hmm. at home and the people out at sea. Yes, they have. And, and again, this kind of run leads right into, um, taking advantage of the programs that the military has. I know that the Navy has support for the deployed families. They, you know, they've got, um, support groups and mom groups and uh, deployed children's play dates and, you know, just get in with the, um, you know, if you need family counseling, they have all of that stuff available. You know, military one source is a, is a huge um, hub of resources for families. And what is it called? Military one source. Military one source. And is that like across, all military I believe so um if uh, it should be uh I don't know for sure but I I'm gonna put their website on your page Lily with your episode that's really neat I didn't know about that Mm -hmm. um what a great way for people to get uh, you know connected to their community for extra help yeah I keep thinking about time right and what like death has taught you or what families taught you about time and how hard it can be sometimes in a moment, you know, you and I both get it. Like you've been deployed. You've had to really kind of put your nose to the grindstone and show up for the work you signed up for. And, um, you know, I went through cancer and had no idea what it, what it was going to turn out. I didn't know if I'd be dead in a month or, you know, if I would be someone who was saved and got to share my story and help other people out. But it's like, you know, just again, with, with, with you being a mom and bringing new life into the world, how has resilience and time changed you or your outlook on life? What matters? Um, you know, I, I am associating being a mom with this COVID things. I don't really know why. Um, I think it's given me the opportunity to stay at home and be a full-time mom. And I have been loving it. Uh, but you know, I like slowing down. I like taking in each day and just being so thankful for that day's health and that day's safety and that day's blessings and um, just really honestly taking it one day at a time because we're not guaranteed. You know, we, you and I both know that's, you know, tomorrow is not guaranteed and just being you know, I know this has been kind of your mantra, but just being so present in the now and and um, focusing on my my kid and my husband and me, I, you know, I have really enjoyed that. And, you know, now that I have a little bit more time and practice being a mom, I think I could squeeze in 
you know, a volunteer something, something to give back to the community or my immediate local community and still give quality time to, you know, all of those same people, myself and my son and, and my husband too. So, you know, I don't think we do that enough. I think we're so busy, go, go, go. And we schedule so that we have no downtime. And at the end of the day, we're exhausted. And when you really think about it, what type of quality were you giving in your day? Because if you've got 14 things on your mind, you're not fully present at your kid's baseball game. You're not giving 100% to your boss. You surely aren't giving 100% to your home or your spouse. You're you know, I, I, yeah. yeah. So I think, you know, just slowing down and and making this time has really opened my eyes to how happy you can be when you have a lighter schedule. <laughs> just commit yeah. to lesser things and give more quality to yourself and your loved ones. And, you know, I don't know. Yeah. That's what I've learned in the last. I love it. I think that's so useful. Um, when we talk about presence, um, you know, I think a lot of people struggle, again, mental health and the state of our political cl- climate and <laughs> Um, just the upheaval that like media portrays and how people get so sucked into that and think that that's all that there is. Mm -hmm. Um, What advice do you have uh, for people that are just having a hard time getting out of that mindset? Well, it's really hard. Like you said, I mean, it is everywhere. We're getting blasted with opinions about, you know, politics and social injustices and things like that. And There are those things in the world, but there are also a lot of other things in the world, you know, and choose what's important to you and not what is necessarily important to the rest of the world, because heaven, heavens, no. Oh, my gosh. I can't even tell you. I have scaled back on my social media so, so much because um, my opinions aren't necessarily the mainstream opinions. And I feel like if I share them right now, I will get you know, chastise. Yeah. So, which is you know, I've chosen to like, take a step back and that's yeah. been more beneficial to me than, um, than I ever could have imagined. But I just be honest with yourself. Like, do you, are you really saying this to, uh, because you believe in it or because everybody else is or, right. um, and you don't need to post everything. You don't need no. to share your opinion about everything. That's, you know, do your research, you know, formulate your own opinions and, and move on with your life. Like there's yeah. no reason that we can, we can't live in the same world and have different opinions. It's just, it's absolutely stupid. Yeah. It's, it is. I'm noticing too, like we need to talk more in our society about unplugging and, you know, getting back to your roots, focusing on the things that matter because it, you're right. It is so exhausting and you can't please everybody. And mm. There's always going to be different opinions. And you could literally drive yourself crazy if you just sit on Facebook and scroll that timeline for too long. Because <laughs> yeah. Right. It, people are just spewing. Mm-hmm. I, I always I always find it interesting, too, like when someone posts about something and then there's like those little comments in there that you're like, where did they even get that? Like, I didn't mention anything about abortion in this post. But- <laughs> are just flying off the handle about yeah, yeah. you're right it you really do have to just unplug sometimes I think that is something everybody could stand to hear in this time so yeah. 
Um, yeah, Lily, thank you. This has been awesome. <laughs> it, um, really quick, the only thing I had left in here is, um, what what was your favorite ship? What do you think is like the coolest ship? I know you have spent most of your time on a destroyer, but mm-hmm. talk about like the big humanitarian ship too that is out there and maybe what the little ones are for and uh, just talk a little bit about the differences of ships because I think that's fun and people have no freaking clue about anything ship related because yeah. most of them haven't seen a naval ship in their life. Yeah. Yeah, like you said, I was on a destroyer, so that's one of the tiniest little ships in the Navy, and uh, I really liked it. It was a small community. I knew everyone on board. I knew their jobs. I knew just, a, you know, one or two things about them, uh, so it really was a tight-knit community, almost like a family, I guess, if you will, and um, I knew cool. where everything was, blah, blah, blah. And, so, and we graduated with 250 people. Like, <laughs> yes. For those of you from Cannon Falls in the class of 2007, you know what it's like to know everybody. And not to mention, if you guys were all working on the same team, I bet you were super close. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, you know, I am partial to the the size of the crew and the destroyer and things like that. And yes, we, we ate some um, poop sandwiches because we were the lowest <laughs> ship on the totem pole. We got tossed around and kicked here and there, uh, you know, a few times, but uh, overall it was, it was fine. Uh, there's several other types of ship that do very similar things as we do. Uh, I was on a cruiser for just a little while. It's just like one step up from a destroyer, a um, little bit bigger, little different capabilities, um, mostly the same mission though. Um, and when I speak of mission, I just mean we're kind of the support ships, uh, the protecting ships of the carrier. So we carry all of like the weapons and stuff that would need to be deployed to protect the carrier if we ever needed to do that. We do have some land defense uh, type things to defend against that type of stuff too. Um, the carrier would be, you know, more of um, like a air force, I guess. There's a lot of air fire and air air support. Uh, yes. Don't you guys get food from air support? Talk. Yeah. Um, get mail too. How did people yeah. get more food and more mail? So that is that's different. Um, air support. I just mean as far oh. as like, air defense is probably a, oh, a better term. Like people patrolling from the skies. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Uh, and that's kind of their their thing. So. The air support, I guess, um, what you're referring to would be coming from, they're called U.S. Navy ships, USNS. They're not necessarily, um, they're, they're ships, but they're not filled with enlisted sailors or enlisted officers or anything like that. They're mostly civilians. They're going to give us our fuel and our supplies and stuff. That's their job. That's all they do. They just meet ships out in the middle of the ocean and they supply them with um, food and the parts that they need to fix things or maintain their equipment, mail, things like things of that nature. Um, so that's a whole nother, you know, a whole nother ballpark. Yeah. yeah. And then there's amphibious ships, which um, they do a lot of Marine support as far as, shipping Marines from this country to that country, moving their equipment from here to there, 
Um, they're a much bigger platform. They're kind of like a mini carrier, like a smaller, you know, maybe they're only like a thousand or two thousand crew versus four to five thousand on the carrier. Dang. Yeah, that's so. insane. So, so now talk about the humanitarian ship because that was really cool to see. What kind of work did they do? And like, did you ever see them in live action? So there's a couple of hospital ships. That's their primary duty is that they, excuse me, um, go around and uh, provide medical services to wherever they're needed, really. Um, I think during the height of the COVID stuff, they went to New York and they were taking non-COVID patients for a long time and treating them. So that is a a prime example of what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like literally an enormous hospital on Mm -hmm. the water that can come park in New York. Yep, and they have everything you can think of. I mean, they've got surgical services and dental services and, I mean, anything that you would need, they have. So doctors and nurses and, Your appendix breaks and you're out on the ship, they can remove it for you. Yeah. Dang. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. So uh, I actually never got to see one of those inside. I really, really wanted to. Never got the opportunity. Uh, but there's a few based in San Diego and one, I think, in Norfolk. Um, so, I mean, the Navy's just so vast as far as what they're capable of and what they uh, what their mission is as far as, you know, protection or um, supporting and, and fueling the the warships and um, supporting the personnel as far as, you know, medical stuff goes. And uh, it's, it's pretty yeah. amazing. There's a lot of different platforms out there. Yeah, and I remember you were saying, too, that when they fill the boat with fuel or send food over, sometimes the seas can be rough and they'll park mm-hmm. right next to you. And you have to carefully connect. Like, you, you, I remember you telling me, like, this is no small feat. Like, yeah. you know, people would think, like, oh, the mail's coming today. It's going to be an <laughs> easy day. But really, like, you guys were all, like, yeah. on point, on the ball, ready to make this a safe transaction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, when we do those types of, they're called underway and replenishments or unreps. And it is a days-long evolution. And it's one of the most dangerous things that we do because we do have to like cruise right up along next to this other giant ship and we're connected by fuel lines and the seas have to be pretty fair and there are personnel topside working and you just have to be aware of your surroundings at all times. I mean, there's ropes and lines everywhere and there's supply pallets coming and you know, there's a working, um, what do you call them? Like a bucket brigade type thing where people are unloading these pallets and passing them down into oh. the ship where they need to go. Like an assembly line. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. And there's a navigation team and literally everyone is involved. There is, There are no hands that are not working at that time. So. All hands on deck. Yep. <laughs> that is exactly right. <laughs> hey, now I want to talk one more thing. I know I keep saying that, but you're just like full of so much good information. <laughs> what do you wear for something like that? How did your, is that a weird question? It It is not a weird question. I'm only laughing because it, I've done it 
for so many years that it's it's, it's like normal to you. Normal to me. Yes, but exactly. It's bizarre so, when you talk about it uh-huh. to someone like me or people that have no idea. So talk yeah. about that a little bit. What does it look like? Yeah. So underway, uh, when we are cruising out at sea, we wear coveralls. So something like you go to your mechanic and they have these like one piece, like onesie zip up thingies. <laughs> That's what we wear. They're really fi- and sexy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're um, fire retardant and they're supposed to be pretty rugged and stuff. Uh, steel toe boots every day, nothing else. And with uh, evolutions like the underway replenishments, we would wear hard hats also. So that's just like your typical, um, some, oh, and life jackets when we're, when we're up topside doing that kind of stuff. On a typical day, we wouldn't wear life jackets topside. Or hard hats. Like, yeah. I guess you don't want a can of beans dropped on your head. Right. That's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, so, but that's our uniform. We don't wear anything else underway. It's just the coveralls and the boots. And um, depending on what we're doing, we might have a helmet on, might have a life jacket on. But other than that, that's that's it. It's pretty boring. It's, yeah, I want to see a picture of the bathroom. As I want to see a picture of you in your coveralls. Okay. Now, when you're at port, do you um, like wear your naval clothing? Like, do you pull it out to look fancy? Yeah, so when we pull into certain ports, uh, depending on what the port is for, so why or why we're stopping, uh, sometimes it is for a, a specific function, like um, you know maybe we're involved in a international event and. Um, or an international exercise where we're practicing with, for example, when we went to South America, we were doing an exercise, a joint exercise with the U.S. Navy and the Peruvian Navy. There was a couple other um, countries. I think Chile was there and another Navy. I, I'm not really sure. We were doing this um, scenario, big scenario, big practice thing. And so that was kind of a big deal. It was pretty formal. And so when we pulled into port, we got into our dress uniforms. So we wore our dress uniforms while we were entering port. And then after that, we just wore what we would normally wear on a regular basis as far as our uniform goes. Um, but if it's just a port that we're stopping at for maybe supplies or something, uh, and it's not really fancy or it's not really a you know, any sort of big presentation, uh, then we would just wear, again, normal, normal Navy uniform type clothes. Cool. Can you send a picture to me of your workroom with the giant refrigerators? No, No. (laughs) that's tough. But I could maybe Google something. And um, just because, yeah, we're not allowed to have cameras or take pictures or anything like that. that I'm sure there's an example. Yeah, yeah, I'll send you a bunch of, um, I have a ton of pictures from my first deployment because it was so new and exciting to me um, of like that underway replenishment and all that, you know. Yeah, stuff, so. yeah getting mail, getting fuel. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to see all that. That'd be so sick. And okay. I'm sure everybody else would love to see it, too. So yeah. thank you so much for sharing your story. Mm-hmm. When is your contract up, Lily? What will your next, say, five years look like? So the plan right now is not to re-enlist. So I plan on getting out at the end of my contract, which ends in about 
14 months. So next September. Yeah. So not this coming, but the next. So, um, and I'm on track to do that. I like to see a smile on your face when you say that. It's really exciting because like you said, you've been doing this for six and a half years. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really amazing that God has given you the knowledge that you've gained. And two, Lily, just knowing the peace that's coming, like you're, you're approaching the end of your service. That's huge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So I initially, when I enlisted um, before boot camp and all that, I signed a six-year contract, and uh, that put me at what would that have been? 2020? Yeah, 2020. Then, in the midst of all of that, I signed an extension because. I wanted to get back to the continental U.S. We were living in Hawaii at the time. And um, my time on that particular ship was going to be expiring. And I wanted to move ships, hopefully, you know, back to the, the like I said, the continental U.S. In order to make that happen, though, I had to agree to enlist for two more years. So, um, so, so we did, so I did. Because what was the alternative? The alternative was to just, um, basically ride it out in Hawaii. So either stay in Hawaii for, you know, the six years or the rest of my six years or extend and get closer to home. Cause that was really the, you know, wasn't there talk at some point about you possibly being stationed not in Hawaii, but somewhere else? And I can't remember where it was. San Diego, probably. Maybe. Yeah. So I thought it was something I thought when you were figuring out your, con- your contract, there was something that they had offered or talked about that was like very unappealing to you. And I can't remember no. where they were. They so <laughs> they don't necessarily. They give you the illusion that you are allowed to pick where you're going to be stationed. But really what it is, is here's what's available. Name your top four and we'll try to make it happen, which doesn't doesn't always happen. Yeah. So the options were, you know, basically everywhere besides the U.S. What, where was they? Because I forget, but I know I remember this part of your journey and I was like, oh, Lily, sign the extension. I know. And then now, yeah. So I remember there was something in um, uh, Italy and uh, something in Japan. And I knew I didn't want to go to Japan because their their tempo, their operational tempo is even worse than in Hawaii. So I would have been gone even more. And I, yeah, I don't, I just didn't want to go there. And um, so then I was just like, kind of stuck basically and I was talking to my leadership like what do I do because I can't change I can't you know completely go back and stay in Hawaii anymore because I already signed this thing but there's nothing for me blah 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 so they got me into a special program which put me on a uh, a cruiser that was going to be uh, basically refurbished so everything was stripped there was no (laughs) There was like no equipment on board. There was no engineering stuff. Like we couldn't have gone anywhere if we wanted to. Yeah, the boat was a shell. I remember 
that. I remember you guys having to revamp that whole boat. Yeah. So, um, and then there was talk about me going to San Diego for a while uh, to a carrier. And then um, they wanted me to extend for that also. And I was like, I no, I've already extended for you guys. Like, I'm not, yeah. Yeah. I don't want to commit to another you know, a couple of years on top of the couple of years I've already committed. So yeah, I, which is why you said, ask questions, advocate for yourself. Mm-hmm. If you're not yeah. clear on something that your contract says, ask yeah. about it mm-hmm. because. Yeah. And, and ask, you know, ask several different people because some people's experience is different on top of the Navy changes policy all the time. So something that was true even two or three years ago may have changed in the last few, um, you know, depending on the need and the political climate of the world, like it really just ask and do your own research because, you know, you never know. All right, Lily, last question. Why do you want to be on the podcast? <laughs> well, Other than you're doing me a massive favor and doing <laughs> I just think your story is so cool. And when I think of resilience and strength and I, you know, celebrate the 4th of July or Memorial Day or I think about service member, you're someone who pops up to the very top of my list. So it's obvious why I wanted to have you on. But why did you want to be on to share your story? Well, again, yeah, to to share my story, but just, I mean, to realize that, you know, when people on Veterans Day, you know, thank you for serving. I appreciate that. I really, really do. But there's so much more to it than that. You know, thank your service member. Thank your service member's spouse. Thank your service member's children. Thank your service member's parents, because Lord knows they do a lot of child care and a lot of, you know, Zach lived with his parents while I was on one of my deployments. And, you know, it's just, it's the all around sacrifice. It's not just your service member. So to, to unveil their portion of it and their story, um, and to really kind of dig into the, there's a lot of backstory. There's a lot of craziness that happens in order to, uh, be, uh, in the Navy. Like I just, I, look back on all my training and, you know, my first day of boot camp and the first day on my ship were a year and a half apart. I mean, there's so much. And even then I was nowhere near prepared. But, but it's just such a, it's such a, such a good lesson though, for people to hear that, like, you know, even for me, I feel like sometimes I get so wrapped up in wanting something immediately and I have to be patient. So I think the Navy's really taught you that, Lily. Like, it doesn't all come immediately. You have to work for what, for what you're going to do and the skills that that you're um, working on. And, um, you know, iron sharpens iron and just remaining yeah, yeah. positive. And, and there's so much power in sharing our story because, heck, someone might hear this and be like, I... I'm sick of working at McDonald's. I'm going to go join the Navy and be a badass like Lily. Excuse my French. It's just really, it's really amazing and inspiring to hear your story. So thank you for doing it. Well, thank you for letting me talk about it. Yeah. And I'm so excited for you. So when are you due? I'm due in November. Oh my gosh. Like three more months. And your contract is up September of 2021. That is. Yes. 
And and how does someone leave the Navy? Like, is there a ceremony? There is not a ceremony necessarily, unless you're retiring. Um, you've put in at least 20 years, which I will not have. So I'll just be um, like transitioning out. There's um, some trainings that you have to go to. There's a medical portion that you've got to um, fulfill. Um, you know, they just want to make sure you're mentally stable and that you've got a plan after the Navy, they're not going to let you get out unless you have gone through, you know, um, training as far as how to put a resume together, how to do interviews, or if you decide to be a student, then research some schools and programs. And, you know, they want to make sure that you've got a little bit of a plan before they just let you go. So yeah, yeah, very um, cool. Would you ever get back into the Navy down the road when your kids are bigger? You know, I think so. The plan is to transition into the Navy reserves, and so I won't be active duty anymore. Um, the the reserves will allow us to maintain, <clears throat> excuse me, benefits, medical benefits, and things like that. So that'll be like a weekend warrior type thing, two weeks a year, one weekend a month. Um, so I'll I'll still have my foot in the door, and if uh-huh. later on down the road. I decide I miss it or I want to get back or maybe I want to go back in and do a different job. Um, the option is pretty easy to transition from there. It wouldn't be like having to, to re-enlist or like start all over again. So Right. Well, very cool. I'm excited for you and I'm excited. Not that there's a pandemic going on, but I'm excited <laughs> that you are where you're at and yeah. there's a smile on your face because you deserve it. And you're right. There are so many stories about active military and um, naval men and uh, the sacrifices go so much farther than what we see and what we talk about. So um, thank you for bringing light to those. Yeah. Okay. And um, I'm going to get your episode out as soon as I can edit it, Lil, because... I told Tyler I'm getting so quick at editing that I want to start releasing them more than I've been doing. So oh, sure, yeah. you're one of the good ones I'm going to just throw out there for fun. So, <laughs> Oh, yeah. I'm I, interested to see how I sound. <laughs> oh, you sound great. Stop it. Isn't it so funny? Yeah. How much how much flack we give ourselves for how we sound like aren't we aren't we grateful that we can talk? Yeah. Hear? Like, isn't that the more important thing? Yeah, exactly. You're you're missing the point here. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Tess. Bye. This has been Push Diaries Podcast. Please visit our website at pushdiariespodcast.com to see our mission and learn more about the guests. This is your podcast, too. I want to hear your stories. Email me at pushdiariespodcast.com at gmail.com and consider supporting the show by going to patreon.com forward slash push diaries podcast thank you for listening